is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to the Bad Boys and Beyond podcast. We are your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau, and we've got a special guest today, not a Pistons-related guest. We got a man who's coming all the way from Los Angeles at the Crypto.com Arena. Is that, are we still calling it that? I still call it the Staples Center, but you can call it that. It's the official yeah. name. It's, 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 that's the Staples Center background. For now, I think Crypto.com just went out of business, though, so who knows? It might be changing back to Staples. Although, isn't Staples out of business, too? I don't know anymore. Maybe it'll be the Bed Bath & Beyond Arena. <laughs> Anyways, we've got the host of the Locked On Clippers podcast, Dime Dropper, joining us today. Thank you uh, for coming in, the Dime Dropper. We're we're happy to have you. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. I'm actually a, a pretty big fan. I mean, I, I listened to your guys' episode about Ben Wallace a couple months back, um, but I, I've told Keith I'm saving a lot of your episodes because I'm doing this historic timeline thing where I'm trying to learn about each year of the NBA that I wasn't alive for in order. So once I get to the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, I'm definitely going to binge so I can get more context on some of these Pistons. Awesome, awesome. How old are you, just for reference? I'm 24. I started Jesus. watching basketball in the 05-06 season. You know, it's funny. The Pistons are actually one of the biggest reasons I am a Clipper fan. Weird story, but yeah. Well, we'd love to hear it because that I don't yeah. know how you reach that. Okay, so basically my first year of like being old enough to like really process what was going on on a game. Last game. year. <laughs> <laughs> 05-06. And um, we were, I remember, you know, the Lakers had Kobe at the time. It was just post Shaq, but everybody was still a Laker fan. And I remember turning on the TV and the Clippers were playing the Detroit Pistons on KTLA five local, local channel. And I remember before I turned the game, I was like, oh man, the Clippers are probably getting waxed by these dudes. Cause at that time you guys had, you know, that was the going to work. Pistons. Everybody, it was just a fantastic team. I turned it on and we were winning by seven points in the second quarter. And I was like, oh my God, like the Clippers must be pretty good. Watch the rest of the game. We fought valiantly, lost to the Pistons at the Palace. But that was the moment where I said, Clippers are actually pretty good. Like the Lakers aren't going to do that this season. They're not going to compete against the Pistons. And a couple of weeks later, I ended up going to my first basketball game and it was a Clipper game because it was more affordable. And yeah, after that Pistons game, I went to a game, saw the Lakers weren't really that much better. And I, I'm a, I'm a guy that likes to go with um, the underdog or something that not everybody loves. I guess you can say that's a contrarian in some ways. And yeah, that was it. But I vividly remember that Pistons game as a memory of that showed me that that 06 Clipper team was for real. And that was it. I was stuck for life. I, I was drawn to the Clippers as a kid because I was a big Fresh Prince of Bel-Air fan. And the Banks family had Clippers season tickets. And they always talk about going to the Clippers game as, as opposed to going to, I mean, there were times where they went to Lakers games, but they had Clippers season tickets. And when Will saved Carlton after his OD on speed, uh, his gift for saving Carlton's life was uh, Clippers season tickets, his own package. So um, yeah, there's that story. That's a little something for dime dropper there. I'm sure he hasn't seen fresh Prince, but maybe he can watch it now. Seen a couple episodes, but not the whole show like that. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, with so that team that you were watching the Pistons play is that the Q Rich team? Is that 
Is that the uh, Q Rich Darius Miles team, or was that a little earlier than that? A little after. Later. Okay. Elton Brand, Chris Kamen, Sean Livingston, Katino Mobley, uh, Corey Maggetti. That's a fun team. I like that. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of Clippers, uh, since we have somebody who represents the Clippers on our show today, there was a big trade that went down uh, with Christoph Porzingis heading to Boston, Malcolm Brogdon heading to uh, the Clippers and uh, uh, gosh, why am I Marcus Morris, former former Piston Marcus Morris is going to be headed to the uh, where's he going in that trade? I'm, I've He's lost myself. Washington. He's going to Washington. What are your thoughts on Malcolm Brogdon joining the Clippers and is that going to help things over there? Uh, I'm I'm ecstatic about it honestly because I actually wanted Malcolm Brogdon to be our starting point guard last season. Then the Celtics got him. And I was like, man, like as if they needed any more help. But I was shocked at this news. I was actually recording Locked On Clippers, and I saw the notification. And I was like, oh my god! The last couple of days, you know, everybody in Clippers circles have been talking about: Are we going to bring Russ back, or is Chris Paul going to replace him? Are we getting both of them? And now, out of nowhere, we are trading Marcus Morris, which was expected. But Malcolm Brogdon just won Sixth Man of the Year, in my opinion, very high IQ player. Always been a fan. And uh, he, he's more of a, I know it's kind of a dying breed, but in terms of like a traditional point guard that looks to set the table, I think Malcolm Brogdon fits that bill fairly nicely for today's league. And I'm very excited to have him. I'm very excited. Now, the question is, what's going to happen with Russ? Is he going to come back? Is Brogdon going to come off the bench, even though we already have Bones Highland there? I wouldn't mind if Brogdon was a starter, honestly, at this point. But I'm very happy to have him on the team. And Marcus Morris, I mean, love the guy, but it, it was about time. It was overdue. And to get his salary off the books and just him off the roster with Ty Lu playing him so much more than he really deserves to be playing um, is, is really nice. The sad part is seeing the 30th pick go out the door and then Amir Coffey, who a lot of people liked, um, but he wasn't really playing. So now he'll get his opportunity in Washington. But overall, I am a happy Clipper fan today for the first time since the season ended. So my pain was uh, done. <laughs> That's great. Um, not to make it a total Clippers show today, but um you know, do you do you see them moving off of Kawhi Leonard or Paul George early, or, or are they going to stick? I think this move indicates that they're probably going to try to, you know, to give another shot at this with this duo, because Malcolm Brogdon to me is like a player in his prime, kind of a a guy that you want to help bring to your team to win right now. Um, if we were going to try to go a different route, I don't know if we'd be bringing Malcolm Brogdon in. I personally, I'm kind of done with this uh, Paul George Kawhi era. I just don't believe in their health personally. Yeah. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm okay with giving them one more shot because there's still that with Ty Lue as the coach, we haven't had a healthy playoffs with either of those two. We had the one playoffs with, you know, with Glenn Rivers as our coach in the bubble, but that wasn't really kind of the bubble. Glenn Rivers, PG wasn't fully healthy. Yeah, I want to see what Ty Lue, Ty Lue deserves a chance to have both of those healthy for a playoff run and we see what happens. And we'll see if we even get that opportunity, but yeah. I haven't heard him referred to as Glenn Rivers yeah, since, I, since I unwrapped my 1990 Fleer cards back in 1990. <laughs> That's I, funny. I like you that. Know, we're, we're, I mean, there's only one, there's only one real doc in the basketball world. And uh, yeah. he got his nickname titles removed after his, Seven years of pain he caused me. <laughs> yeah, I could feel the pain every time you say the word Glenn. That was yeah. that, that was interesting. Um, yeah, the uh, look, I I think the Clippers probably should run it back, uh, if only for the reason that I I think they're the yeah 
whatever happens next season is going to boil down to can Paul George or Kawhi and Kawhi Leonard both stay healthy? Because I think everyone would agree they have one of the most talented teams in the league if their roster is healthy, but they're never healthy. But that's the problem. The whole league knows they're never healthy. So even if you try to word and move off of Paul George or even Kawhi at this point, what's the market for that? Yeah, I don't I don't think you're going to get any kind of a rebuild kick started. So you may as well just roll the dice. I think Malcolm Brogdon is a perfect fit uh, because they are a slower-paced half-court team, and that's the type of ball that that Brogdon excels at. He's not a guy that's going to get up and down the floor either. So, and especially with with Tyloo, who I has just blown me away ever since he joined the Clippers. Just if he's not the the best coach in the league right now, he's in the top two or three in my opinion for for what he's done uh, since he got to LA. He's really proven himself. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I have zero faith that, unfortunately, that the Clippers are going to stay healthy because they just I, – I, I see no reason to believe it's going to change. But if you're the Clippers, uh, you, you may as well just take the bet because I don't think there's a good plan B for them. And, look, if, if things work out, if they if they are healthy, I, I think they can beat anybody in a playoff series. I really do. Uh, it, Moving on to, to Boston real quick, we don't need to talk about Washington because they're just going to flip Morris for whatever draft picks they can get. Uh, I, I, I think Boston getting Przingis, even if he's only going to be there for a year, uh, man, that's, an, uh, that's a hell of a win-now move for them. Uh, definitely. Przingis is a guy that they can definitely cover for defensively. Uh, he is going to knock down all of the threes that that older Al Horford missed in the, in the conference finals against uh, the Miami Heat. I, I don't know, like, he's not nearly the defender that Al Horford uh, is, but Al Horford isn't nearly the defender that he used to be either. So I, I think if you move Al Horford to the bench, start Porzingis at center, I I think Boston, I look, Boston was already a championship caliber team, but I, I think this could be a sneaky piece uh, that maybe gets them over the top this year, but we'll see. Yeah, I was a little bummed that, you know, Porzingis, I, I thought there was a chance that Porzingis would wind up in Detroit, like I mentioned uh, before we started the show. But, but yeah, once he signed that option, it was it was just it's yeah. it was gone. Um, but anyhow, uh, let's jump into the 2009 NBA draft. Uh, Keith, start us off with some news and notes. Uh, so the 2009 NBA draft, I, I have a few notes here. Uh, th- this was the uh, well, first of all, this draft took place in the same day that Michael Jackson passed away, which was just that, that it was really weird. Farrah Fawcett died that day too. I always remember that. I don't know why. Right. uh, This was also the uh, first draft where a player, an American born player skipped, uh, skipped high school or excuse me, skipped college in the one and done era and was drafted in the first round. Anyway, that was Brandon Jennings. And although you don't see it, he would, he didn't, quite set a trend you don't see a whole lot of uh, american players going overseas like you do every now and then you'll you'll see like a lamello ball go to australia i think that seems to be the, the favorite league for for uh, high school players i think it's more of the ot and um well not the ot i don't think that's gonna be around long but the, the g league now but he was kind of the trendsetter there that college isn't the only option in the one and done era you you can you have other uh avenues where you can make some money along the way also this was uh, the first draft in 23 years uh, that featured not one but two Rookie of the Year award winners. Uh, first one since 1986. Uh, the other two in the modern era, of course, 1978 and uh, 2016. That had two Rookie of the Year winners in the same year? 
Yeah, uh, 1978, of course, Larry Bird, uh, he, he was uh, essentially a fourth-year junior uh, at Indiana State. So the, the Celtics drafted him in 78, but he, his rookie year wasn't until 79-80. Uh, and uh, 86 with David Robinson had the two-year military commitment. Uh, uh, he was he was rookie of the year in 1990. Or excuse me, 1987, I'm sorry, not 86. Uh, 2009, which we will go into the... A rookie of the year uh, award winners from this from this particular class, which one of them still blows my mind today. And 2016, of course, with Ben Simmons uh, sitting out his his initial year and still winning rookie of the year. Okay, okay, I was I thought you were referring to sharing a rookie of the year award, which I was I, I was thinking I don't remember that. Well, and no, then no, because no, yeah, if we're, if we're talking about sharing, I guess I should have included 95 and uh, yeah. 1000 with yeah the the two co rookie of the years. Okay, so let's begin. All right, uh, the num the number one pick, uh, of course, is, is the, the reason I asked him on this show was so he could mold the next uh, decade of the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, Dime Droppers picking first. I would love to hear uh, how you think this would play out uh, if you were controlling this draft. Well... Listen, back in 2009, I think this was absolutely the right pick. I would have no regrets, honestly. I mean, Blake Griffin was just a monster coming out of Oklahoma. I remember watching his college highlights and being like, uh, this this guy's really going to be on my team? Like, I was so afraid because we had Donald Sterling that we'd pick Hashim to beat. I'm not going to lie. I was like traumatized. We'd go Ola Candy style again. So I was legitimately traumatized to the day of the draft. But if I had to do it now... There's no doubt in my mind, as much as I love Blake Griffin. And that, that's actually fun that we're talking about Blake Griffin because his arguably his best season may have come with you guys. But yeah. I got to go with the chef himself, Stephen Curry. He's changed the game, an all-time great, and one of the great careers and players to ever play the game. I would absolutely take him first. And that would be crazy to think uh, what it would look like if the Clippers had picked Steph Curry. Of course, we have Baron Davis at this point, but time to make a trade. You know, BD is old. Didn't look the same his first year as a Clipper. Time to move off of him, bring in someone else, have Steph Curry and see where he takes us. And hopefully Donald Sterling still gets blacklisted and Steve Ballmer gets to be the owner with Steph Curry. Yeah, what you said at the end there, almost like that sent like a shiver through my heart because, <laughs> look, all right, if, if Donald Sterling couldn't hold on through Blake Griffin, who was a mega star at that time, I don't want to say that Steph Curry would change his destiny, but what if the Clippers were world champions uh, at that time? What I'm just thinking about it. What if Steph Curry, and look, that's a good problem to have, right? But what if Steph Curry is coming off leading the Clippers to the NBA championship? I think you think Donald Sterling tries to fight a little bit harder to, to keep control of his team. I, I really don't want to go down that road. I just, you made me think about it. Uh, but, okay, I'm sorry, go on. I was going to say, when was the... Uh... When is this championship, hypothetically? Huh. Well, uh, I, I'm just I'm I'm trying to play it down the road, like the twenty, you know, twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen, when Steph finally becomes Steph. Well, hope. Well, considering the Sterling thing happened in twenty fourteen, and there was not really any on court incident that affected that. I'm okay. hoping that he still is dating that the the goat V Stiviano, and she you know, rats him out for being weird. 
and racist and hopefully he gets blacklisted. And then Steph Curry can win a championship and feel comfortable staying with the Clippers the rest of his career with a good owner, just like he's doing with Golden State and Lakeham. Does he? Is that odd to think about though? Like Steph Curry being being a Clipper, considering like I think of all the teams in the NBA that Steph Curry uh, tortured, I think the Clippers were at the top of the list because I. I, Well, I I know they they were the last team to defeat the the Warriors before they went on their run, and I think I I swear the Warriors held it against them till the end of time because I swear the Clippers did not beat them again uh, for it in like any for for any reason. I think they went on like a huge winning streak against them, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Like from that, we beat them one time, and and I think it was the twenty sixteen. Oh, I think we may have gotten swept actually that year, twenty fifteen. I think we won one game against them on Christmas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they had our number for a little bit after that. However, we never saw them again in the playoffs. Um, and this the the series that we lost to the Warriors twenty nineteen. That was with a different, you know, that was that was post Lob City. Right. Um, Kevin Durant was the one that destroyed us. Like he was just going nuts. But um, honestly, I would pick two teams. I think that Steph Curry's tortured more than us: the Houston okay. Rockets, yeah, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think he's like really messed them up because the Thunder, that shot that to me changed basketball. That shot from forty feet away. Because yeah. when he did that, we were like, "That's crazy!" I've never seen anyone do like willingly take that shot like with seconds left on the clock, and he made it. And I, that just shook the whole league and then i mean came out from three one down and that was the end of their team after that so and then houston i mean i don't even need to go there that, yeah. that was that was brutal the way he did houston especially that that 2019 season when kd was missing game six and he had that really like what zero points in the first half and then just went nuclear yeah. in the second half but yeah my hope would yeah, be just- that that this would all play out similar to blake griffin where steph would eventually wind up in detroit and he, he would run away from Steve Ballmer uh, in his return game to L.A. Uh, and, and put up put up, 50, put up 50 against the Sixers. Okay, so I look, we could go on uh, gushing about Steph Curry forever. We really could, but we were trying to get, keep this under an hour. Um, the, the can, can, I, can I say one more thing? Can I say one more thing? Can you guys, can everybody just stop being mean to Aisha Curry? Like what the hell are we doing? Why why does everybody hate this woman? She's so nice. She's a sweet lady. I don't like. I, they're just the, they're such a great family. I I love their kids. I love her. I I don't understand why everybody wants to hate on her. Just stop doing it. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. All right. Well, Grizzlies pick. Okay, so uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, and this is I think just as big of a no brainer. As as much respect as I have for Blake Griffin, and he's definitely a more marketable player, at least the first five, six, seven years of his career, uh, than James Harden. I I have to go with James Harden at number two, and we we're getting into the point where the, the Grizzlies have Marcus All. Uh, I don't remember if they got Zach Randolph this summer or the following summer, but they're going to have that tandem together. This was uh, this, got, this was the summer they got uh, Randolph from us. Okay, yeah, and they they they've got Mike Conley, and man, if you add James Harden to that mix, even if you're playing him off the ball, uh, my God, that that is just a a dynamite. That is a dynamite team, and I. I I got, no, they they did trade Mike Miller, but anyway, I don't I don't care who the rest of their team is. Uh, you throw those four guys out on the court, you're you're going to steamroll people. 
like to me, I think this is possibly the most impactful uh, draft pick in this class. And by the way, this is an amazing class. Uh, the last, I want to say, four, at least four or five drafts, we've had trouble uh, finding guys that we really liked outside maybe the top ten. I've got a twenty player list that I, that I, that I'm looking at, and it's all good players. Like this is easily the deepest draft that we've done since uh, 1999. You you just won uh, the Grizzlies a championship. I mean, this is a team that goes to the Western yeah. Conference Finals in a couple yeah, of years. This, this is, yeah, without yeah, James I, Harden, they, I think th- this draft pick probably turns the the Grizzlies into what the Thunder were. Even they don't have a Kevin Durant type player, but I think in terms of depth and talent, I, I and hopefully they hold on to James Harden and they don't stupidly trade him away like the Thunder did. Speaking of the Thunder. <laughs> As I segue into this, uh, they have the third pick in this draft. Uh, Mike, you were up. Uh, well, the MVPs are off the board. Lob City was in Los Angeles, but it's in Oklahoma City now. Imagine a world with Kevin Durant and Blake Griffin, and then Russell Westbrook just throwing lobs all over the damn place. Like this is the most fun team in the league. I I would I just wish that there was another universe that we could see this actually happen. I don't know how good they would be. I think they're obviously better team with James Harden, clearly. Uh, but like they are the most fun team in the entire league with Blake Griffin. Uh, so I, I I would love to see that. Plus Serge Ibaka is here. Like this is a pretty good team. This is a team that still can compete despite not having James Harden, who I always thought it was weird that he came off the bench, but whatever. Uh, but I, I think that this team is still going to be almost as good as they were with uh, with Harden. Yeah, as our guest Steindropper noted, uh, Blake Griffin, in hindsight, was absolutely an indefense, a, a perfectly defensible uh, number one overall pick. Any team in the league uh, that won the lottery would have picked him number one. And he went and improved it after fracturing his kneecap uh, in preseason, what would have been his rookie season, came back the following season, didn't lose a beat, uh, was on SportsCenter just about every night back when SportsCenter actually meant something. Uh, one of the most exciting marketable players in the whole league. I, I thought dunking over the Kia was stupid. Other than that, uh, th- this is a guy that if you had told me in 10 years that the Pistons would have Blake Griffin, I would have been ecstatic, even though he, he was a very diminished athletically uh, version of himself. He actually, credit to him, uh, managed to develop his skill level to the point where he was uh, knocking down threes and playing like a point power forward role. Uh, I, I absolutely, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think the Thunder would be must see TV across the league. Uh, they would max out their their national t- uh, TV appearances with KD and a, and a young Blake. That would just be unbelievable. Any any thoughts on that? As someone that watched Blake Griffin far more than uh, the rest of us. Well, well, are we are we still having him miss that first full season? I I am going to say yes. Okay. Well. And that well, I think in 2011, having Blake Griffin would probably be better than James Harden. Just that season, yeah. I think they may not trade for Perkins if they have Blake Griffin. Maybe like slide walk out of the five. But the thing is, you think that now because of the way the game is played now. But back in the day, like they wouldn't have put, like Ibaka would have been saying he was too skinny to play the five or something. Like the five position in the late 2000s and the early 2010s was like a usually a really big dude. Um, but I think it could work. 
I think it could work with Ibaka and, and Blake. Ibaka, Blake, KD, who are they starting at the time? Sepalosha and then yeah. Russ. And they wouldn't have Harden. But, man, I mean, I still think that team goes to the conference finals. I'm not sure if they beat Dallas, though. I'm not sure. That Dallas team was very battle-tested. But I still think they would make it to the conference finals. And then would they be better the following year? I'm not sure. Because that's when Harden in 2012, he took a big step that year. He went sixth man of the year. But they would still be right up there in contention as a championship contender for a couple of years with Blake, no doubt about it. And as you said, it would be must-see TV. Yeah, I think uh, who got injured in – that was the weird run where – one guy in the Thunder was always injured. Was that starting in 2012 or 13? Like I think like KD got injured one year, then Russ got injured another year. So it, 2013 is when Russ had his meniscus torn by Patrick Beverly in game, I think it was two of the first round. And then 2014, Russ missed like 24 games and KD won MVP. And they were healthy in the playoffs, but then lost to the conference finals to the Spurs. And then the following year, KD was out like, half the season and and they missed the playoffs by like a game because of that. Right. All right. So for the immediate future, we're basically looking at, because I agree with you. I don't think they would have the experience to, to beat Dallas, even though they had so much talent. I mean, the, the Thunder had, they had James Harden and they weren't any. Yeah. Dallas was just clearly better than everyone else, except Miami. And they were a better overall team than Miami. But so basically we're talking about how Blake Griffin versus James Harden, would affect the 2012 finals and possibly deny LeBron James a ring, which if you think back, uh, James Harden had one of the all-time worst finals anyone has ever had. So it's not a stretch to say that Blake Griffin would have added more, but also just like Dallas in 2011, I think Miami was on a mission in 2012. So I I don't want to disrespect them and say like uh, second year in the league, Blake Griffin would have made up a difference between losing the series in five games and winning it. But it's, some, it's fun to think about, though. All right, so our, our guest time dropper is up again at number four with the Sacramento Kings. And, you know, man, these last three picks were just full of hope, and now we're just uh, in, in utter misery because the Kings are kind of hopeless right now, and they're going to be hopeless for, for a little bit. Uh, do you have anyone uh, on the board that you think might uh, change their uh, change their future? I absolutely do. And let's see. They have Kevin Martin. That's the one thing I'm worried about with this guy. And not for long, though. Yeah, it's true. Uh, You know what, though? I'm, I'm, I'm debating between two L.A.-based guys. But since they have – just because they have Kevin Martin, I'm, I want to give Kevin Martin some assistance. I'm going to go with Drew Holiday. Ooh. I like it. I'm going to go with Drew Holiday. I think he would make a nice backcourt there. Um, the thing is, I'd have to go back and look at the film, but I don't remember considering Drew Holiday this lockdown defender till he was like at least like seven or eight years in the NBA. Yeah. Um, but he was still a good player. Like it, I remember it was, I think it was the 2013 season. He was an all-star for Philly, like four years into his career. So he was still good and he helped Philadelphia right away. So I would take him. I'm pretty sure you guys know. I think he'll be picked next. The other guy I was thinking of. Yeah. Because Kevin Martin. Go ahead. Oh, no, he will. Go on. I was going to say, just because Kevin Martin averaged 20 points in the 2010 season. So, yeah, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Drew Holiday. Get that nice backcourt pairing there. 
Yeah, I'm honestly not even because you know Kevin Kevin Martin was a 20 point scorer until his health game, and then he just went from 20 points to out of the league in five seconds. Uh, but look, I, I'll I'll tell you one thing. I love this pick. I, he's not the highest rated individual player on my board, but he is. I if I were you, I probably would have picked him too. Uh, because no one needs to say, uh, no one needs to tell our audience that the Sacramento Kings had a very bad losing culture for a long time. And if anyone is going to turn that around, it's going to be Drew Holiday. Uh, Drew, Drew Holiday is is a hyper competitive, and you're right, he wasn't uh, an all NBA type defender until a little later in his career, but he was always a, a competitor. He was always a guy that wasn't going to tolerate other people slacking off. And he was always the type of guy that would lead by example. And I think all of those things, uh, are what Sacramento absolutely truly needed uh, in 2009. So I, I really do think that's a great pick. Yeah, and just to give Kevin Martin some flowers real quick, I just looked at his 09 stats, and he was averaging 25 points a game. So yeah. I feel like more comfortable about my pick. I'd give Kevin Martin his respect. Yeah, oh, yeah, we, we love Kevin Martin. It's just he his career kind of uh, got torpedoed. Uh, by I I want to say it was his knees I can't I can't remember it was some kind of an injury problem where he just couldn't come back from it and he just decided to retire rather than fight through it. All right, all right. So the same team has the next two picks in the draft. Uh, the one one of the all time draft blunders. Actually, this might have been the worst because they had two chances at it and they blew both of them. Uh, the the first one at the number five pick belongs to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, very shrewd trade, actually. They got him essentially for Wally Zerbiak a few years prior. And I will be selecting at number five on behalf of the Timberwolves. And I am going to go with DeMar DeRozan. I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's anyone else on the board that we can argue. Uh, I'm not going to waste anybody's time. Uh, De- DeMar DeRozan, uh, like, like a fine wine, he just gets better with age. Uh, I... I think a lot of people, because he wasn't, like, all right, he was good as a rookie, but I don't think anybody saw him as anything real special. But as his career got, he he just got so much better, so much more technically sound. Uh, much like James Harden, he he learned uh, the craft of the game, uh, learned how to draw fouls. He he didn't try to be something that he wasn't. He didn't try to be a volume three-point shooter. He He embraced the mid-range game in a league where everyone was trying to space the floor with, with uh, 30 foot three pointers. And he is still a highly effective player uh, 14 years later. Uh, what he does for the Timberwolves, I don't really care because the Timberwolves are kind of Al Jefferson and 11 guys. Uh, all due respect to guys like Gerald Green. Uh, but look, I, I think, I'm sorry. What about Kevin Love? He's there now. Oh, oh crap. crap. You're absolutely right. Yeah, he is what he is there. <laughs> okay, so I, I take that back. They are Kevin Love, Al Jefferson, and, and a bunch of guys. How does DeMar DeRozan mix with Kevin Love? That's kind of an interesting pairing. Uh you know, I'm gonna take him anyway, but yeah, you gave you gave me something to think about there. Like, could that could that pairing drive the T Wolves to the playoffs? Maybe that's a decent trio. Yeah, it really is. Not the first, but maybe after. Yeah, yeah. Some terrible. I think they would need to load up on defense. uh, Otherwise, but yeah, that's a hell of an offensive uh, uh, trio with guys scoring on all three levels. You got Kevin Love uh, spacing the floor. You got Demar at mid range, and you got one of the 
I really hate saying this because it sounds like an insult to to the modern players, but one of the best low post scores uh, of his generation in Al, Al Jefferson, which people are going to laugh at that, but he was actually a legitimately really, really good low post player. All right. So also with the number six pick uh, are the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Mike, as we've just set you up, we have set the table for you. Yes. Uh, all you got to do is find one more player to, to add to this uh, trio that we've established. Well, <clears throat> I just uh, a moment for reflection here, because I just in case people don't know. Uh, David Kahn went out there and selected four guards in one night. Now he traded one of them. He traded Ty Lawson, but he selected two point guards back to back and then took Wayne Ellington uh, later on in the draft. And literally, at Pistons legend Wayne Ellington, sorry. Uh, literally, none of these guys worked out. Ricky Rubio, I guess you could say he's a fine point guard, whatever, but yeah, not... He's not, still around. He's still around. <laughs> Excuse me. But he's not... He wasn't worth that pick. I know everybody was super high on him before the draft, but he did not turn out to be anywhere near what anybody was saying he was going to be. So I'm going to get it right here. Steph Curry's gone. They should have took him. They had two chances to take him, and they didn't. Uh, but that, I'm not going to keep harping on him. I'm going to take Brandon Jennings here because I I, I feel like a backcourt of Brandon Jennings and De- DeMar DeRozan is something I want to see. And I think he's the best point card left on the board, has scoring ability. If he doesn't get hurt, he has a much more, you know, a prolonged career. Hopefully he doesn't wind up in Detroit. <laughs> Because we got the worst of him. Uh, well, maybe not. Maybe not the worst say, we of got, him. We got the best of him. No, Milwaukee got the best of him. They probably uh, did, but he was playing as well as any year before yeah, that injury happened. Milwaukee got his best game, but I think the Pistons got the best version of him. Uh, like, we're going to have to agree to disagree on you. I, I just think he, okay. was, he was very good at Milwaukee. Reflecting sure. on Brennan Jennings' career, we're going to say it's Bucks Brennan Jennings, though. That was the best, I right. think. Right. Crazy. Ten more years there. They are drafting yeah. Bucks. The the Timberwolves are drafting Bucks Brandon Jennings right now, and not Pistons Brandon Jennings. Uh, has, but has yes, any, has any, has anyone in in NBA history, or at least that you can remember, been crushed under the weight of his own successful rookie season more than Brandon Jennings? Because oh. all anyone remembers about Milwaukee Bucks is that fifty Brandon Jennings is that fifty five point game that he had, I think, two weeks into his career. Yeah. And something that no one had done other than Wilt Chamberlain. And all of a sudden he was the, like, he was the flavor of that rookie class for, and, and the thing is he had an okay rookie season, but it wasn't, he never even came close to having a game like that ever again. So I, I think what happened to him, the Bucks kind of soured on him because that game raised his expectations to a point that he couldn't match. Right. And I think that's kind of why they traded him uh, out of town because he almost became a disappointment. It was so weird how that played out. At least that's how I saw it. He had a game so good that he he changed hairstyle for men. Uh, I mean, he he brought the Gumby back. That I hadn't seen that since Bobby Brown, and he he had a fifty five point game, and then like every everybody had that haircut afterwards. Um, yeah, but but to Don Draper's point, uh, he he absolutely like. When he came to the Pistons, uh, he was playing in- incredible basketball for that that brief period, that one-month period of time uh, between the time the Pistons cut Josh Smith 
in the time that Brandon Jennings tore his Achilles. Like, he was legitimately playing as well as just about any point guard in the league, not named Steph or, or Russ or any of the, the big, big names. But he was – it looked like he was uh, hitting that potential that he had when he was the number one high school player in the country. Like, I, I – people for, kind of forget about Brandon Jennings because his career ended so uh, abruptly. But, man, he was – he was really, really good uh, when you saw him at his best. Yeah, it's a bummer that he he got hurt. All right. So cycling around uh, a third time, the, the Golden State Warriors, who we've already robbed them of four championships, can't get those back. Uh, Nine Trapper, you are back on the board. Uh, can you salvage this uh, in any possible way? Well, no way I can get a player that's as good as Steph Curry, but there is a guy that I'm going to go with. He is also a guy like Brandon Jennings. You can say injuries kind of derailed him and he he didn't have the best career, but he was the rookie of the year. And the first couple of years of his career, he was a beast. And I like to pair him up with Monte in the backcourt. And that's going to be Ty Reek Evans. Can do a little bit of everything. Uh, could pass, could rebound, great floater, and he was just an exciting player in the beginning of his career. I didn't, I couldn't believe that it, you know, it went the way it did with him, but he was fun. I mean, I'm gonna go with Tyreek Evans, honestly. So, do you, how, all right, I gotta ask, how do you think uh, a Tyreek Evans and Monte Ellis are going to play out as a backcourt? Not well. sell it to They're not making the playoffs, but <laughs> I think that you at least with. As opposed to Steph Curry, you get some size. You got a guy that's like yeah. six, five in there, six six. Like he was a big guard. Um, the thing is, he played the two. And did he play the two in Sacramento? Or was he initially the one? Because the thing is, he yeah, was, no, he, I, I think they had him playing point in Sacramento at least right. his first two. That's what I'm thinking. Then I want to put him at the point and just have a, a slightly bigger backcourt than you normally would see. Um, and yeah, I, I like Tyreek Evans. He was good around the basket. I haven't seen some of his old highlights in a while but he, he was he was fun i'm gonna go with tyreek yeah future future historians will look at this draft class and wonder how the hell like 50 years from now someone's gonna look at the 2009 draft and see these names steph curry blake griffin james harden uh even demar DeRozan, drew holiday and they're gonna wonder how the hell tyreek evans won rookie of the year uh but you're right uh he was he was like the first guy out of the gate uh steph curry uh suffered injury issues he 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 wasn't bad necessarily but he was nowhere near the guy that he would become as a rookie uh James Harden struggled as a rookie everybody remembers that uh Blake Griffin didn't even play uh technically until the following season uh DeMar DeRozan I like this this class is full of guys that had uh I would say disappointing rookie seasons and they all had great careers uh I, I think that's a lesson for people uh, as we record this a day before the draft, not to judge a draft class after one or even two years. Cause some guys are just, are, they're slow getting out of the gate. All right. The, the number eight pick belongs to the, uh, the Kings of failure at the New York Knicks, kind of like the Kings of the East. And they, they, man, is Isaiah still there? I don't think Isaiah is still there at this point, right? No, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, they're they're bad, and I don't see them getting much better from anyone that's left on the board. But I, they're like 
as I said at the beginning, there's a lot of good players here, so I don't think I can really go wrong with a draft pick. I've got two guys I'm looking at. Just give me one second. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to select, uh, I'm going to go chalk. I'm going to select Jeff Teague. Uh, Jeff Teague, if, if nothing else, uh, a fantastic uh, change of pace point guard, not necessarily a pure point guard. I think he's more of a scorer. I think like sometimes I kind of rub guys the wrong way, but when you saw him get into the perfect system for him in Atlanta with Mike Boonholzer coaching, he, he, he approached all-star level. Uh, he was that good. I I don't think he's the type of guy that would change a franchise, but uh, I, I certainly think going forward, he's the type of piece that you can build with, maybe not around. All right. Uh, number nine, uh, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, and they are, they still have Chris Bosh, but not for long. They, they've got one more season, I believe of Chris Bosh before he, before he leaves town. So, this this actually might be the, the 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 most pressure we're putting on anybody today, uh, Mike. Uh, who do you see on the board that can possibly encourage uh, Chris Bosh to stay in Toronto? Well, I think you know I, I look at this team and while they do have uh, Jose Calderon, I, I think they could use somebody who's a better you know a point guard, better distributor, better somebody who could run this offense a little bit better, and. I'm kind of stuck between two guys right now. Uh, one of them is is a guy who can score and distribute, but the other guy's a better distributor and can kind of score. So I, I'm just trying to figure out what what I want to do. I mean, I guess whoever this guy is, he's not going to be the main the main scorer on this team. Like, I mean, that's Chris Bosh's role at least for another few years. Um. Well, for for one year, for another, yeah, for one more year until he decides to take his talents to South Beach along with LeBron. Um, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Darren Collison. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I I like that. You know, he 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 can add to the scoring, and he's he's a he's a better distributor. Than I think people remember him being like he averaged five assists a, a, a game in his, over his career. That's that's not bad, you know. I I was thinking Ricky Rubio here maybe because he's 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 gonna he's more of, you know a distributor. I keep saying that word, but like he's more of a setup man than than Darren Collinson. Darren Collinson is, but uh, I think overall Collinson's probably the better player. So I'm gonna go with him, and I don't think it's gonna help him keep Chris Bosh in Toronto because at this time everybody was trying to find a way out of Toronto. They were not the six yet. They were not Drake's Toronto Raptors yet. They weren't cool. Everybody wanted to get out of there. So, um, yeah, Bosch is going to leave. Way to put a positive spin on it. Yeah. Uh, but, look, I'll, I'll say this, though. Darren Collison, one of the sleepers, the 21st pick in this draft. Uh, extremely – I mean, he was so skilled that Russell Westbrook kind of went unnoticed. That was his college teammate. Uh, not not that Russ wasn't the better NBA prospect. He clearly was. Uh, as evidence that he went much higher in his draft. Uh, but yeah, D- Darren Collison, hell of a college player. I-, I think people doubted that his his athletic ability would translate to the NBA. They were clearly wrong because it did. Uh, like like you said, he, I don't think anybody uh, left on this board is going to uh, persuade Bosch to not leave Toronto because I I agree with you. Toronto was kind of a hopeless situation back then. But 
Yeah, I, I think he actually pairs really well with Chris Bosh. I think he pairs really well with most anybody because he had so many uh, very, very good skills. He could be a distributor or he could, he, he could be a scorer. He was a pretty efficient shooter as well. Uh, not the worst defender either. Just one of those sleeper picks where that it just hit. Uh, had, a, had a pretty good NBA career. Could have had a much longer NBA career. He chose not to, but that's not on us to judge. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm saying that was interesting that D- DC's career came like that. I love, I, my dad and my sister went to UCLA, but obviously recently, but my dad went to UCLA and I loved Darren Carlson growing up. And I was so happy he got to be on the Clippers for a year and he was a really good backup for us. And sadly, the Sacramento Kings made him the starting point guard, but I'm a big fan. Yeah. I, I think it would be difficult to find anybody that hated Nate Carlson. Uh, or, or Darren Collison. Nick Collison, too, though. Yeah, Nick Collison's great. Yeah, I, I just realized that, like, everyone <laughs> loves Nick Collison, too. But yeah, just uh, Darren Collison, uh, very well liked guy around the league. Everybody le- enjoyed playing with Darren Collison. Uh, there's really nothing bad you can say about the guy. All right. So, all right. The uh, number 10 pick in, okay, we're cycling around one. Uh, yep. We are cycling around. So our guest, Dime Dropper, has the number 10 pick uh, representing the Milwaukee Bucks. On this one, I was thinking about this. Tough choice. But I'm going to go with another guy from USC, just coming off a really solid second round trip to the NCAA tournament and had a really solid impact as the backup power forward for Carlos Boozer in those first couple of years with the Chicago Bulls. And I think he had a really solid NBA career, solid post player, really strong, good finisher on the basket. Taj Gibson. Yeah, everyone remembers uh, that dunk that he had on Dwayne Wade in the, oh, yeah. in the 2011 playoffs. Uh, yeah, I, Taj Gibson is another guy that I don't know if players necessarily liked him because he was one of those enforcer types, even though he had kind of a skinnier build. Uh, but I know coaches love the guy. Uh, everyone that's ever coached Todd, Taj Gibson has wanted to keep him on their roster forever. Uh, just the, the quintessential uh, workhorse guy. Good start uh, uh, in his prime, but for the most part, his best role, I think, was as a third big that could come come off the bench, uh, play defense, give energy, score a little bit. Uh, kind of like he, remind, he reminded me of like a uh, uh, kind of like Kenyon Martin a little bit. Uh, yeah, how, how does he fit with the Bucks? I, I, I think he's a good compliment to uh, Andrew Bogut's still there, right? Yeah, he's still there. Would, would Tom Gibson be starting? Who was the four? Who was the four for that? Nine? Let, me, let me look at that. Who was it Ilya Sova? I honestly start Taj. Yeah, but you neither of those guys were really shooters, though. Let me look at the Bucks real quick. Yeah, yeah, although although back then, I mean, if your power forward can at least stretch it a little bit mid range, shoot eighteen footers, fifteen footers, then yeah. that was pretty normal. Okay, so actually, it was one of your uh, Luke uh, Mbamute. Uh, Ilias Silva started at like a third of the season, but Mbamute started the other two thirds at the four. It looks like that sounds like they didn't have a four. They rely were. I agree with you. Out. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually you're, you're actually persuading me on this. They had Jerry Stackhouse. My God. Wow. I love Luke Bamute, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I figured you would. All right. So 
as we go to the number 11 pick, uh, the New Jersey Nets, who are about to make a just a disaster of a trade. Uh, well, a, a disaster of a uh, in, entire plan uh, trying to build around uh, Darren Williams. I am going to try to dissuade that them from that as best I can. Uh, I am, look. I am going to draft uh, Ricky Rubio. I'm going to draft Ricky Rubio and pray uh, that they decide that they don't want to throw all of their eggs into the Darren Williams basket. And maybe down the road, they're a younger team. Maybe they don't decide to throw all their eggs into a 45-year-old Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and, and Jason Terry and just build the next dynasty for the Boston Celtics. Uh, I, I am still upset at them for that because the, the Pistons are still paying for that and the rest of the Eastern Conference is still paying for those mistakes. Uh, but look, they, they've got uh, Brooke Lopez. They've got uh, Vince Carter's on his way out. Jason Kidd's on his way out. They're very much uh, in rebuilding mode. But I, I think Ricky Rubio, and look, he I think he got a kind of a bad rap for how his time in Minnesota went because the Timberwolves were dumpster fire. And he's the type of player that needs at least a little bit of structure around him. Not that the Nets are a whole lot better at this point, but I, I'm hoping – that they will find a way to put a better team around him. I definitely, the, the Darren Williams thing that, that you can look, you can say that nobody saw the, the his, his career implosion coming, but I, I don't know. I, I, I guess there's a reason why a guy like that is available for, you know, draft picks that, that usually doesn't happen often. There's usually a reason behind that. That doesn't involve basketball. All right, so the Charlotte. God, how many more years am I going to have to call them the Bobcats? I was just, I was just looking at that. It's like five more years. I don't like it either. I that name so much. All right, the uh, the Charlotte Bobcats uh, are on the board at number twelve. I, I believe Larry Brown is the coach at this point. Yes. So you have one for you, uh, and I, I actually do believe that they're a playoff team this coming season. Yep, are they're they gonna not? go. They're gonna go and get swept by the Magic in the first round. Yep. I remember that now. All right, so you've actually got a pretty decent team to work with. Uh, who who are we adding to this uh, roster? I mean, that's that's kind of the hard part because you know, no matter who I add to this roster, I just feel like Larry Brown's gonna completely ignore them. It almost makes me feel like I should just draft Hashim to beat, and we can all just move on because I just don't think that Larry's going to do anything with any of these rookies. Best available, um, best available guy to come off the bench for that very solid starting lineup they had. Uh, I, I'm going to go with, um, oh my gosh. Let's run through that that starting lineup for a second. If had, you can. I'll, I'll tell you this, they had a nice little squad. Like you could almost argue Larry Brown underachieved. Yeah, uh, Gerald Ray, Wallace. Uh, Rick, yep. Crash Wallace, who was an all-star this season, uh, Boris Diaw, uh, Raymond Felton, Steven Jackson, uh, Tyson Chandler. I think Tyson Chandler and Nazi Muhammad kind of split starts, which that makes me raise an eyebrow. Yeah, I, I, I literally raised my eyebrow. I don't I don't recall why that was the thing. Uh, but, yeah, like, look, Larry Brown made a whole career of taking bad teams and, and getting them uh, into playoff shape. I think this team actually had the talent uh, to begin with before he ever got there. I think the the weak uh, 
part of that starting five, if you assume Chandler's a, a starter, is Raymond Felton. Raymond Felton wasn't half bad. Not at all. Who's the sh- starting shooting guard there, though? It's Steven Jack, because who's playing the four? Dia was starting, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep I keep thinking of Gerald Wallace as a three, but he was really a four, right? No, no, Dia was the four. Wallace was yeah. the So Steven Jackson was the two. Ooh, that's a big team. Wasn't it? Yeah. That's a no, that was a that was a pretty good team. I mean, I think I I, I guess that, that Nazi Muhammad Tyson Chandler thing makes me a little like, why did that happen? But Tyson Chandler, wherever he's gone, he helps them win. Everywhere he goes, yeah. wherever he leaves, they take such a step down, too. He's an underrated one. That they they were the about. number one defensive team in the league this coming season. Number one in defensive rating. <laughs> I, all right. Now I, now I, that we put all that pressure on you, Mike. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, a guy who went undrafted in this draft. I'm going to go with Wesley Matthews. Oh, I thought you were going to go in another direction. Interesting. What would you what do you think I was gonna do? No, no I, I'll be honest with you. Wes Matthews is probably the the most Larry Brown player. Well, yeah, yeah, he probably is. I, I can think of a couple candidates, but oh god, you know, I just I I didn't see Joe Ingles just no, when sitting you said, right no, there. No, it's just yeah. When you said undrafted, I, yeah, I had another my uh player in in my pop into my mind. Luigi Dottome? Not not that player. <laughs> Uh, no, I just think that, you know, look, they originally took J- Gerald Henderson. Uh, I think Wesley Matthews is a, is a better, better option all the, all together. I, I think he's a better shooting guard. He's going to play longer. He's, he just played this last year. Henderson only played eight, eight seasons and, and was gone. Um, so yeah, I think Wesley Matthews, he's a good scorer. Uh, he's probably going to come off the bench behind Steven Jackson. Uh, and I, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. I think he'll help them win maybe one game against the Orlando Magic, but ultimately I still think they're going to get – it'll be a gentleman's sweep. Yeah, if, if you were to put a Mount Rushmore on, like, the toughest guards uh, of this past generation of NBA players, like, Wes Matthews would be on it somewhere. The, the dude was just – he wasn't the most athletic. He wasn't the biggest, but he was just – and that guy was just a competitor. Uh, ex- excellent uh, spot-up shooter. I think Larry Brown would absolutely love him. Good two-way player. Now, didn't he tear his Achilles and he was like back the same season or something? I can't remember. Like he came back freakishly fast. I, I think he tore his Achilles after Brandon Jennings did, and he was back to playing like two months before Brandon Jennings got back. That seems about right. Yeah, it was. But yeah, I, I know he's well loved in Portland. Uh, excellent player. Yeah, I, honestly, I think he would actually, as a rookie, I think he could be. I don't look. He's not going to help them beat Orlando in the playoffs, but I, I think he could actually, maybe, possibly win them a game. Possibly, I know they got crushed, but I, I could see just that little bit of extra offense because they, if you look at the the Bobcats, were atrocious uh, shooting the ball. That that's why they didn't win more games despite being the league's be, uh, best defensive team. So I, I think this is a really impactful pick. All right, I nailed it. <laughs> All right, as we cycle around one final time, our guest Dime Dropper, uh, who we are very, very glad to have here. I think you've been great. Uh, the number 13 pick belongs to the Indiana Pacers, who are about to they're, – they're a little bit down right now, but they're about to start their renaissance uh, in about a year or two. Uh, Dime Dropper, do you have anybody that would fit uh, in that uh, future core of that twenty early 2010s Pacers team? 
Yeah. Uh, I got a guy that I think would actually immediately start for this 2010 Pacers team. No disrespect to Earl Watson and TJ Ford, but I, this is a guy that we're going to talk about 20 years ago and be like, damn, remember when this guy was really good? And that is the 2009 NCAA champion with the North Carolina Tar Heels, Ty Lawson. I know he had this weird exit with the Houston Rockets and the DUI, whatever happened there. But those first couple of years in Denver, especially when Melo was created, he was lightning fast. His jumper kept getting better. I mean, he was electric. Like I thought Ty Lawson was going to be an all-star in a couple of years after, and it just never panned out. But he was, I mean, 2012 or 2013 Ty Lawson, he was a really solid player and he was problem. Helped take the Lakers to seven games, even with Kobe and Powell still on the team. So I'm going to go with Ty Lawson to pair up with Danny Granger um, on that Pacers team. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you mentioned Melo. I think he was actually way better without Melo because he had the ball a lot more and he, he was yeah. allowed to push the pace. Uh, and he was one of the best guards in the whole, you're right, he was one of the best guards in the whole league uh, for the first, you know, three or four years of his career at, at pushing the ball and getting into offense. Like he would beat entire teams down the court off of made baskets. Yeah. Just, he was like a, a smaller version of Andre, uh, Andre Miller, but way faster. Like he, he was that type of player where he, he wasn't a guy that was going to score a ton of points, even though he could he could shoot a little bit. He could do that, but he was so, so good at, at breaking down defenses with his speed and getting others involved. Uh, I absolutely love that. Uh, what was it? That twenty thirteen? Yeah, I think it was the twenty thirteen Nuggets that won so many games. Their best player was Andre Iguodala. Uh, yeah, I. I'm right there with you. I, I I miss Ty Lawson already. I thought he was a really fun player. Yeah, that 2013 Nuggets team was really fun. And then Gallinari tore his ACL, and then they lost to the Warriors. That was Steph Curry's coming out party right there. Yep. Yeah, it's one, one of the iconic series of the, the entire uh, last decade, in my opinion. Uh, but, yeah, Ty Lawson actually does find his way uh, to the Pacers eventually, but he is a diminished version of himself. All right, uh, my final pick at number 14, the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns are still championship contenders. Uh, they are about to meet the Lakers in the conference finals this coming season. Man, it, it, look, they gave the Lakers a hell of a run. I think that series should have probably gone to seven games. It's just that uh, run our test uh, bailed the Lakers out in game five. I think the Suns would have won that game without that buzzer beater. All right, so at this point, I'm looking for immediate help. Uh, who, would, who would best fit on that team with, uh, I think they have Grant Hill still at this point. Uh, they've got Amare. Uh, they've got Steve Nash. I need defense. You know what? I'm going to go with uh, Danny Green. Uh, and look, Danny Green, not the greatest defense. Like, he wasn't an all-NBA type defender, I don't believe. But he was a, still a very good two-way player. And... Uh, the one thing, and I, I really don't like dropping a name, name, name dropping Grant Hill, but I know the one thing that Grant has always, uh, he has held this against uh, poor Alvin Gentry for, for quite a long time is they had no, here's the problem with the Suns in 20, uh, 2010. They had this amazing offensive team, but they didn't have any defensive wings. So it was kind of on him to guard Kobe Bryant in the conference finals. And, and I know Grant has always, he will probably bring that to his deathbed in, in 50 years that Elvin Gentry left him on an Island uh, against Kobe Bryant at his age. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't think he will ever get over that. 
uh, Grant, if you're listening, uh, you're awesome. But yes, I'm going to try to bail you out here. I'm going to try to give you a little bit of help. I know Danny Green wasn't, it didn't have a great rookie season, but that's because he was stuck on a, a very good, I was, it was the Cavs, right? Yeah. The Cavs, yeah. And he just never got in the game. So I, I, I have no uh, evidence that he couldn't have played as a rookie. So hopefully, hopefully this is how it plays out. And uh, if nothing else, Danny Green can give six fouls. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that he's going to guard Kobe well, but at least Grant will have some help. And there's nothing wrong with putting shooters around Steve Nash. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I, I think is yeah that Mike D'Antoni offense. Uh, I certainly think he fits in there like a glove. All right, and the final pick, and we usually have to create our own fictitious uh, 15th pick for the Pistons whenever they haven't drafted at this point. But we don't have to because they really do have the 15th pick. Uh, Mike, uh, the, the Pistons are coming off of barely scraping to the playoffs as an eighth seed, uh, which didn't even matter because they had already kicked Allen Iverson off the team and they got humiliated by the Cavs in four games. So with that in mind... Uh, who who are we starting this this long rebuild with? And if you say Austin Day, I'm quitting the podcast forever. Mike, you're you're, you're on mute. Okay, uh, look, I loved Austin Day. Okay, nobody in this world had more more like want for him to be good than me. Uh, I really just I I looked at him. I'm like, oh, he's the second coming of Tayshawn Prince. Like, I know that that's not fair. It's just because they look like each other. I think that's what, and they're long and skinny guys. I mean, that's, that's, uh, I don't know. That's what I equated it to. Hey, look, they have the same body type. They must be the same player. Uh, but I just thought he was going to be really good and, and he, and he just wasn't. I also thought Kyle Singler was going to be good too. So you see where some of my drafty valves are coming from. Don't hire me. Kyle Singler, though, I mean, he was, of, that wasn't a terrible prediction, honestly. I think that just yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just just as long as we're all being honest, I thought Hashim Tabit was going to be the next Dikembe Mutombo. I, I I obviously <laughs> that was probably the worst draft evaluation I've ever made in my life, and I've never let myself forget it. I feel so bad for that kid because it's not like he was, you know, I don't know. He just it just didn't work out. Yeah, he's just a I don't know. I just it's I just feel bad for him. That's all. Uh, anyways, so usually when we get to this point, dime dropper, you haven't listened to any of our uh, our redrafts yet, but I always get stupid at the end of these drafts, and I go and I pick a guy that probably shouldn't actually be picked or or whatever, and and I make my my reason for it, and Keith gets mad at me and shakes his head, and that's that's just what we do. That's by the way, uh, I should have mentioned this at the top of the podcast. Keith, you know it's our one-year anniversary. Yes, we start. Is. We started the show one year ago today. Thank you, everybody. Was it for, today? For, for oh, listening, yes. yes. Today is I our one-year anniversary. Know. I knew this was our 52nd episode, but I didn't realize yeah. it came full circle like that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, so on our 100th, or not 100th, on our one-year anniversary, we haven't reached 100 episodes yet, but we're getting there. I am going to once again do something that Keith might not like. And with the 15th pick in the 2009 NBA draft, I am going to be selecting Johnny Flynn from Syracuse. Why? Because Johnny yes, Flynn why? 
was amazing at Syracuse. I mean, that guy was so good. And he had a good start to his career. Unfortunately, he had a bad hip. And he required hip surgery, and that ruined everything. But but drafting him to the Pistons isn't going to make his hip any better. Is Mike Abdenauer still working here? Jim Beheim ran him into the ground. That's why he has a bad hip. Is is Mike Abdenauer still here? Yeah. Well, there you go. Michael fix it. Michael fix it. Abdenauer was there when Grant was there, too. Michael fix it. I'm sorry. Grant, you know how we feel about this. We're right with you. Uh, by the way, Grant Grant Hill and Dime Dropper are the only two people who've come on the show and said that they were fans. Look at the company you're in, Dime Dropper. It's you and Grant Hill. Wait, uh, he, what did he say? Oh, I'm fans of the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, he came out and yeah. said he was a fan of the show. No, uh, I've, seen, I've seen Grant uh, quote tweet Keith before. That's awesome, man. Grant Hill is – I was a fan too when I was a kid. Sadly, I didn't get to see the – the prime time Pistons Grant Hill, but don't worry. When I see it, I'll make content on it. Listen to you guys. I'll get back to you. All right. Sounds awesome. good. I'm looking forward to it. So I'm, I'm just drafting Johnny Flynn based off the fact that I liked him at Syracuse and I'm going, and it's all potential. And I'm going to hope that he doesn't, he doesn't need hip surgery in his like second year of his career. Um, it was either that or, you know what? I probably should have just took Damari Carroll, but or- or Joe Ingles, or Wayne Ellington, or, or Gerald Beverly, Henderson, or, or yeah, but I, Mills, or any of the other very, very useful guys that were that were still left in this deep draft class. But would I be me if I was doing that? I, no, I, you would not. Right. And, and I, I honestly, I would have thought less of you if you had. Thank you, thank you. So there we go. You, you, I, would, you would not be, you would not be my co-host if you didn't, if you didn't try to make me pull my hair out at the last, at the end of the uh, draft. <laughs> One of us has to do it. I mean, one of us has to be the the crazy person. So I'm happy that it's me. Um, but that wraps up the uh, the 2009 NBA draft. Thank you so much for coming on, Dive Dropper. This is a lot yeah. of fun. I hope you yep. had a great time. No, I, I did I had a great time. It reminds I love talking about these players and like this era because like this is the era that got me into basketball and like I just I just love talking about it because I see all these people on Twitter. They didn't even watch this era. Like that's what's that's what's fun for me is. Even though I was young, I was just as much into basketball then as I was now. I just wasn't old enough to have a show or whatever. But man, at school, these all these conversations would go on. So I love I love talking two thousands and early twenty tens. Yeah, awesome. it, it is really because everybody, depending on uh, when you grew up, uh, everybody has that that era that they grew up with, and that is like theirs. And it's always weird for the very first time when your era becomes the past. And so you you realize that okay that 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 point in history is kind of locked in and that's and that's me and that that was kind of me in the in the early to mid nineties with the Grand Hill era like it wasn't the great but that was like my era yeah so I, I totally understand you on this uh please please take this time to plug your socials yeah. and any anything that you're working on um, please yeah. so you can find me uh, my own podcast uh dime dropper on all platforms but i also do every episode on youtube at my youtube channel dime dropper um that's my platform that i obviously hope to get the most people on because i work really hard on it and then you can also follow me as the host of the locked on clippers podcast uh, on the locked on network on youtube um but if you're a pistons fan i would say that the best part about my channel is this historic timeline i'm talking about right now i'm on the dave bing pistons i'm a big fan by the way the dave bing like he's a beast um, I post as much footage as I can find on him. And then when we get to the eighties, I will be making tons of game breakdowns on the bad boys. So I cannot wait for that. 
Um, I just want to have a library of basketball on my on my YouTube channel. I, I may this may take me 10 years to do this, but I'm really determined to do it because I know nobody my age is going to do this. I'm going to watch every game available. I've already talked to Keith about this, about how the NBA is taking games off YouTube and how annoying it is. But I'm trying to get my hands on everything. Right now, I still had an era where there's not even five full games in a season because they, you know, there just wasn't that much national broadcast back then. But once I get to the 80s, I'm going to have a treasure chest, hopefully, and I'm just going to dive in and I can't wait. That's yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, I, I will say this. No, to, to everyone that has li that's listening, uh, no one has been more thorough, I, I think, ever at, at trying to break down the history of the NBA year by year. And I know Don Dropper is still very early in that process. But what, what the stuff that he's done so far is really impressive. I would very uh, greatly encourage everybody to check out his uh, YouTube page uh, if that's something that interests you. If you're interested in learning about the history of the game and the, the great players that made uh, the great players of today possible. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on today. And and we, uh, we look forward to uh, maybe having you back on at some other uh, point when we get uh, closer to the drafts that happened while you were alive. And uh <laughs> One this one happened when he was alive. He's just, you're the youngest guy we ever had on here. <laughs> cool. yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, so they, thank you for joining us. And thanks for everybody uh, who's listening next week. We got a big show coming up. We are going to be covering daddy rich himself, Mr. Chuck Daly. Uh, this will be the first coach that we've ever covered. So it, it should be an interesting, I don't know quite how we're going to do it yet, but, but we're going to, we're going to figure it out and uh, we'll see you guys next week.